Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Reconstruction of the border wall, asylum process reforms and more. Those are the main aspects of the GOP's border security bill that hit the floor this evening. Find out how lawmakers voted with Title 42 ending. Reactions pouring in on former President Trump's CNN town hall last night. What Republicans, Democrats and President Biden's campaign are saying. Twitter CEO Elon Musk says he's found a new CEO for the social media platform. Find out how soon he plans to step down and how Tesla stock is responding. An activist group secretly ships transgender kits to children. We hear from the journalist who's investigating the case. And Disney stock, the worst performer in the S&P 500 today, as well as the Dow. Find out why and what the CEO plans to do. Clocks are ticking and migrants are approaching. Title 42 is coming to a close at midnight tonight. U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas addressed plans to deal with the expected influx. Here's what he said. I want to be very clear. Our borders are not open. People who cross our border unlawfully and without a legal basis to remain will be pr promptly processed and removed. Secretary Mayorkas issued warnings to U.S.-bound migrants, saying there will be steep penalties for those who illegally enter after Title 42 ends. Title 42 is a public health measure that allowed the U.S. to expel illegal immigrants during the COVID-19 pandemic. Those who cross the border illegally are also subjected to Title 8, which includes a minimum five-year ban on re-entry and potential criminal prosecution. Although Title 8 is stricter, the way the U.S. currently enforces it allows for many loopholes, which Title 42 didn't have. Mayorkas said smugglers are spreading false information about the border being open. He urged people to avoid risking their life and life savings only to be removed from the United States. Mayorkas also encouraged asylum seekers to choose legal pathways to make their ways into the U.S., as of now, there are 26,000 illegal immigrants in federal custody today, and multiple sectors at the southern border are over capacity. And while all eyes are on America's southern border, NTD's Jason Perry is in El Paso, Texas, to get a closer look at things. Jason, what can you tell us about what you've seen so far? Hello, Steph. I haven't really seen anything out of the ordinary since I've been here in El Paso, Texas. I've been traveling around with the Border Security Coalition, and one of the things we've talked about is that the Biden administration says the border will not be open after Title 42 ends because Title 8 will still be in effect. I was able to talk with the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, to see what this Title 8 is all about. Uh, illegal aliens, as they come into the country illegally, and they, um, uh, they'll be processed under Title VIII, which are, is the immigration authority that DHS has already always had. Sorry, I got some wind. Um, what, what will happen then is they'll be put in into expedited removal proceedings, and that sounds great. That sounds like they're actually going to be removed in an expeditious manner. It's not going to be the reality because all, the, all an illegal alien has to do is to claim asylum and they get moved out of expedited removal and then they get put into a process that is two, three, five years in the making where they go through immigration judge, they go through a credible fear screening. Then I asked him how long should we expect to see this surge of illegal immigration? 
And he said at least for another two years while the Biden administration is still in power. He said, unless they have a change of policy. Then I said, what about the Americans who don't live close to the border? Why should they care about this issue? Uh, look, it's serious stuff. You know, what comes across the border here in El Paso or Brownsville or McAllen or elsewhere does not stay here at the border. Um, so whether it's human trafficking, it's the legal narcotics, it's the fentanyl crisis that we see, it goes to almost every community in this country. And so, yes, you may not be on the border, you may not be a border state, but your community is being impacted about the crisis and what's going on here like it has never been before. One interesting thing I heard on Wednesday was that the Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz says he estimates that over half a million gotaways have entered the U.S. illegally since October 2022. Well, that's all we have for now. Back to you, Steph. Great. Thanks, Jason. And more on the border. This evening, House lawmakers took a vote on a GOP-led bill. Entity's Melina Weiskup is covering it from Capitol Hill. Melina, what are some of the main components of this bill and what have you heard from lawmakers? Yeah, so just to start with the bill vote, it passed on a vote of 219 to 213. It did pass, but just barely because Republicans do hold such a slim majority in the House. Now, it's important to note there were two Republicans who voted with Democrats as a no vote, those were Congressman Massey and Duarte. Duarte says he voted no because he believes that there's a better solution that could address both border security and a fix for DACA, as well as the guest worker program. Now, what's in this bill to get to your question? Essentially, it pumps more resources into hiring more Border Patrol agents, Border Tech, and probably one of the more controversial pieces of the bill is it continues construction of the border wall. It also cracks down on people who are overstaying their visas and gets U.S. work the U.S. workforce involved because it requires U.S. employees to use a system to verify the eligibility of immigrants here in the U.S. Here's how House Speaker Kevin McCarthy painted this GOP top priority just moments after today's vote. Not to stay in Washington to gather all your information, but to travel to the border itself. If you're going to write a bill about the border, you ought to learn firsthand. My message is very simple. Do not miss another deadline like you just missed on Title 42. The bill also changes the requirements, kind of cracking down on what qualifies as legitimate asylum claims. This led Democrats to equate this to doing away with the asylum system altogether. Here we'll show you how Democrats were presenting this argument in the debate on the House floor, as well as a response from a GOP bill sponsor. In fact, this bill would eliminate funding for much of the remaining legal immigration system that we have leading to chaos. We are ready, Mr. Speaker, to work with serious Republicans to pass meaningful reforms, not an enforcement-only strategy that will continue to be a failed strategy no matter who's in the White House. Those folks who have legitimate claims are suffering the consequences of this broken system. So we're making sure that we have a process that works for those who have legitimate claims, but we're also trying to make sure that we filter out what we know are fraudulent claims. Now, President Biden says that he would veto this bill should it by some way reach his desk. It is unlikely to 
gain traction in the Democrat-controlled Senate. Now, I want to point to another initiative that we're aware of going on in the Senate, on the Senate side right now. Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, working with Republican Senator Tom Tillis, are trying to push a bill that would extend Title 42 for the next two years while lawmakers work on a border security and immigration package that actually has a chance of reaching President Biden's desk. But one thing is clear, that this immigration and border security issue is far from over. All right. Thanks, Melina, for your updates. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more on this soon. And as Title 42 comes to an end, Florida is taking action over the changing situation at the border. The state's attorney general is suing the Biden administration over illegal immigration. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody filed a lawsuit in a U.S. District Court today asking for a temporary restraining order to stop the release of illegal immigrants into the country. Moody argues that the Biden administration's plan to release illegal immigrants conflicts with a court ruling earlier this year. In that ruling, a judge held that President Biden's immigration policies are illegal and must change. Moody said in a statement, quote, the Biden administration's behavior, if left unchecked, makes a mockery of our justice system and our Constitution. The FBI is failing to comply with a subpoena from the House Oversight Committee. The committee sent out the subpoena investigating President Biden's alleged bribery scheme. Committee Chairman James Comer issued the subpoena to the FBI Director Christopher Wray on May 3rd. This is after a whistleblower disclosed an alleged incriminating document showing Biden involved in a pay-to-play bribery scheme with a foreign national while he was vice president. The FBI had until this Wednesday to turn over the documents requested. Instead, the agency said it is, quote, committed to beginning the constitutionally mandated accommodation process. Comer said their reluctant, the reluctance indicates that the document exists, and he pledged to follow up and compel the FBI to comply with the subpoena. And former President Trump is gaining even more traction as he spoke about elections, debt ceiling, and January 6th in the CNN town hall last night. NTD's Iris Tao has more on how different sides are reacting as the 2024 race intensifies. Reactions are pouring in after former President Trump made his first major TV appearance in his 2024 presidential campaign. And some Republicans tell us that they think Trump did a good job. Watch. I thought he did great. And, he you know, again, Trump is good at saying things that people say in their living room at night. Real issues like, uh, you know, interest rates, inflation. As President Trump scores a win. Goes into every environment. He's comfortable. He tells his side of the story. And um, I imagine there's more. That's a preview of coming attractions. But Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, the top Democrat in the House, says the CNN town hall showed. It would be a very dangerous, devastating and destructive thing if Donald Trump got anywhere close to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Meanwhile, President Biden's re-election campaign responded immediately after the town hall by asking, do you want four more years of that? All this as Trump spoke out again on Thursday about the ending of Title 42, and he vowed to do this. To send the border violators back to their home countries, and we will do that immediately. We have to get them out. We have to take back the White House. Reporting from the White House, at Tao, NTD News. And here to offer her perspective on Trump's town hall, Honorary Chairman of the Tea Party Patriots Action, Jenny Beth Martin. I spoke with her earlier today. 
Jenny Beth Martin, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Steph. Now, most legacy media coverage of the town hall say there were no surprises with Trump's statements, that we can expect to get more of the same from Trump. Would you agree with this? And if so, are you of the opinion that Trump should finish what he started? Or do you think that he needs to change his approach and embrace new policies? Well, if they mean that we can get more of what he started so that we can get back to a point where our economy is growing and we have more certainty among the border and we have opportunity for all Americans to move up the economic ladder, that is a good thing. And, and we definitely want to see that in America. Um, it, and as far as the, the mainstream commentators saying they, they aren't surprised by anything he said, he took everything that that moderator threw out all the different narratives combined into lumps of questions that the left has about him and took all of those questions and answered them, which is more than what we're seeing from the, the current president of the United States. And on that point, Trump has largely shunned CNN, refusing interviews with the network since 2016. But he's also been criticized for participating in last night's town hall, a move that some called playing into the network's hands. What do you think his strategy was, and do you think it was effective? Um, I, I think that the strategy was let's let's give CNN a shot and see how it goes. And I, the the questions that he got were, in my opinion, much more left leaning than what he would get if it was on Fox News, say. But but he took the questions and he answered them. I think it's very interesting the reaction that people are having towards CNN. People on the right don't like that the moderator kept interrupting him basically the entire the entire town hall and people on the left don't think she was tough enough. I think when you've got both sides frustrated, they must have done something right because somewhere in there they they got, you know, he, he was in front of both audiences and both audiences, both the left and the right, saw him and heard what he said, which is good for President Trump and it's good for American voters as well. Now, Trump said last night that he would end the war in Ukraine within 24 hours, given the chance to negotiate a deal. That's just one of the points that he made last night. And in a statement released yesterday, his campaign said that he's the only one who can stop the forces that are destroying America and that anyone else will be ripped to shreds. What do you think these statements say about the man himself? Well, I think that it shows that he is a very confident person. He's confident in his own abilities. And I think it also shows that he believes that he has experience from having been president and run many different corporations as well. He has the, pre the, the experience and the wisdom to, to take on the job and the duties that the president has. Now, I, I, I'm sure that every single person who is stepping up and plans to run for president, it, it exudes similar qualities. They think that they are qualified and that they're the best person for the job. And you better think that if you're stepping up to run to be president of the United States. Indeed. Thank you so much. Jenny Beth Martin, great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Twitter CEO Elon Musk says he has found a new chief executive for the social media platform and that she will be starting in about six weeks. Musk said in a tweet today that he will transition to being executive chair and chief technology officer overseeing product, software, and systems operations. The move is likely to relieve some Tesla investors who have been increasingly worried about the time that Musk is devoting to Twitter. Musk also runs rocket company SpaceX. 
He's a self-proclaimed free speech absolutist. He has said he took over Twitter to prevent the platform from becoming an echo chamber for hate and division. Tesla shares jumped 2.4% on the news. And in health news, the COVID-19 public health emergency officially ends today in the U.S. after more than three years. Here's what this actually means. Many Americans likely won't notice the emergency is ending because it primarily impacted Medicare waivers, coverage for COVID-19 testing, and data collection. A number of Medicare and Medicaid recipients will be impacted, but many other things will not change. Most notably, the FDA will still have the ability to hand down emergency use authorizations for COVID-19 products, vaccines, and treatments. The Department of Health and Human Services also says their whole-of-government response to long COVID will not change. Coming up, gender transition kits for kids. A group of activists secretly mailing chest binders, condoms, and body tape to people of any age. Bad news for Disney. Its shares fell more than 8% today. Find out why and what the CEO plans to do about it. That and more in just a minute. Looking now at transgender issues, an Epic Times investigation discovered a Florida activist group secretly sends gender transition kits to hundreds of children across the country. And I spoke with the journalist looking into this, Jackson Elliott. Let's see that now. Jackson Elliott, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. Pleased to be here. Now, you've been investigating these kits that are being mailed out to some minors around the country. What are in these kits? Well, that is a long list of items. Some of them, just to begin, are breast binders. These are what women who feel like they are men use to push down their breasts so they look masculine. They also include packers, which are fake male genitalia, trans tape, which can be used by men to push their genitalia between their legs, condoms, and then a whole bunch of fun items that you you typically get in a gift bag for kids. You know, socks, stickers, trinkets. These are designed to be shipped clandestinely in a package that parents won't recognize so children can have this without parental knowledge. In many ways, these items are just the beginning because social transition, trying to look like the opposite sex, tends to be a prelude to actual physical transition, sex change surgeries, which is a whole nother set of medical issues. And how many of these kits are being sent out? As of now, 959 of these kits have been sent to places across the United States. They are planning to send out 1,800 kits this year in 2023. There's multiple other groups to do this, but the Queer Trans Project is unique in the fact that it has all ages. And the Queer Trans Project you mentioned sends out many of its items for free. Where does it get the money? Well, all of its items are free. That also means that if you're a parent checking your kid's bank account, you can't, you can't trace a purchase. 
Now, it gets the money from several different places, grassroots donors, major left-wing grant-giving groups, including the Peace Development Fund, the Trans Justice Funding Project, the Groundswell Fund, and the Campaign for Southern Equality. All of these groups donate millions of dollars combined to progressive on-the-ground activist projects. It also receives funding and donations from LGBT businesses, both in Florida, where it's based, and across the country. Looking at the responses that you got from lawmakers and state attorneys general when you reached out for comment, what's your summary of, of the response that you got from them? Those who were willing to comment for the most part, we're fairly certain that it was illegal, but that might vary state by state. But in this case, what might matter most is whether it's legal in Florida. So the Queer Trans Project is based in Florida. We're going to have to see whether Florida legislators, Florida lawmakers, or Florida leaders choose to take action. And that's, that's going to be what we're going to be watching for. Great to hear about your investigation. Thank you so much, Jackson Elliott. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. You have a good day. And to learn more about Elliott's investigation, you can find his report on the Epic Times or follow him on Twitter. And Disney stock is the worst performer in the S&P 500 and Dow today. Its shares fell more than 8%. This comes after a surprise drop in its streaming subscribers. Total global subscribers to Disney Plus ended the quarter down by 4 million. At the same time, Disney Plus is still a ways off from being profitable. Here's what CEO Bob Iger plans to do. As a significant step toward creating a growth business, I'm pleased to announce that we will soon begin offering a one-app experience domestically that incorporates our Hulu content via Disney Plus. We will begin to roll out this one-app offering by the end of the calendar year. Meanwhile, in the same earnings call, Bob Iger had a question for Florida. Quote, does the state want us to invest more, pay more taxes or not? The question comes amid the company's ongoing legal feud with Governor Ron DeSantis. And as Title 42 comes to an end today, illegal immigrants are not the only reason the border is active now. Authorities are busy inspecting imported flowers ahead of Mother's Day. Flowers get imported overseas, and the U.S. Customs and Border Protection wants to make sure they are free of pests and diseases that could harm our agricultural industry and economy. What we do is we process them. Our agriculture specialists verify that there are no pests. If there are no pests, they're good to go to the market. If they do find pests, what they do is they go ahead and intercept the pests, put it in a vial, and submit it to our local United States Department of Agriculture uh, identifiers to see if the pests are prohibited or if they're actionable, meaning that they are bad into the country or it's not a problem into the country. About 80% of cut flowers purchased in the U.S. are imported from Ecuador, Colombia, Australia, and the Netherlands. We sample from different growers and varieties, and then we look for uh, the leaves, things like diseases, or fragile noxious weeds in it. and. And then uh, we knock it a little bit to get all the insects out. Ramirez said last year around this time, they processed over 36 million stems. So last year we had over 300 pest interceptions. Out of those 300, 100 were actionable, meaning we had to either destroy, re-export, uh, 
or uh, treat the, the shipment. So it depends on what the pest comes out and they tell us what we do at that point. Depending on how big the shipment is, the processing can take from an hour to four hours. According to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, they have inspected over a billion cut flowers ahead of Mother's Day. And now for your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with the details about a Michael Jordan jacket that's up for sale. Thank you, Steph. A Michael Jordan worn and signed Team USA jacket from the 1992 Olympics is going up for auction and what's the latest expected million dollar piece of sports memorabilia from the former NBA great. The Reebok made jacket is especially notable not just because the Dream Team wore them, or were at least asked to, but because of the backstory regarding Jordan, who was business partners with rival Nike at the time. Reebok paid millions to be the Olympic sponsor and after Jordan was told by a U.S. Olympic executive that he had to wear the apparel during the gold medal ceremony, Jordan used safety pins to cover their logo and then draped an American flag over his shoulder just to make sure it was invisible. He then immediately gave the jacket back to the executive immediately after the ceremony. 30 years later, the jacket still has the safety pins in place while featuring Jordan's signature on the front. Sotheby's, which is hosting the auction, is expecting it to fetch between $1 and $3 million. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, plenty more playoff action. First in the NBA, the Sixers, currently up 3-2, have a chance to close out the Celtics in Philly. Meanwhile, in Phoenix, the Suns are down 3-2 and need a win at home against the Nuggets. They'll most likely need to slow down all-star center Nikola Jokic, who's averaged a triple-double in this series thus far. And in the NHL, the Devils are facing elimination down 3-1 to the Hurricanes as they face off in Carolina. And in Dallas, the Stars and Kraken play Game 5 in a series tied at 2. And finally, for you baseball fans, just six games on today and only three tonight. But that includes a Yankees-Rays matchup in the Bronx as New York, despite just half game out in the wild card race, is currently in last place in the extremely competitive AL East. And that is it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.